And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Our Father, you have come to rescue us through the birth of the baby Jesus Christ. We magnify your name. You have done mighty things for us. Holy is your name. Thank you that your mercy is for those who fear you from generation to generation. You fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. You lift up the humble and scatter the thoughts of the proud. Thank you for remembering your promises and making us your people through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so this morning we are beginning this new series um, for the season of Advent, and we're going to be looking at uh, the four different parts of the Gospel of Luke, the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, as he explains to us and records for us the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. And the thing that ties these four different passages that we're going to be looking at in the next four weeks together is that they are all songs. They're all Christmas carols. You know, something that has always um, interested me is how, no matter really who you are, unless you're like a robot, most people are transfixed by great music, by great songs. It's amazing how one of the common threads that weaves its way through all of humanity is how one of the main ways we express our emotional life, our inner life, to God, to one another, and to ourselves is through music. It's through singing. Uh, This week on Facebook, I saw this hilarious Saturday Night Live skit. Don't judge me as your pastor. Uh, I saw a Saturday Night Live skit of uh, a tape. Some of you might have seen it. It's this uh, family around the Thanksgiving table, and they begin to have conversations. And, uh, you know, they start talking about the things you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, politics and cultural issues and religion and race relations, and it's really, really awkward. And they begin to start fighting, and they're, they're snapping at one another, and it's just starting to disintegrate really, really rapidly, and Thanksgiving's going really badly, and the little girl at the table gets up and walks over in the middle of this fight and turns on the stereo, and that song by Adele, which I've listened to no less than 400 times this week since I saw that skit, the song by Adele called Hello comes on, and immediately all of the people at the table stopped arguing and start lip-syncing the song together. It's really hilarious. Trust me, I'm telling it poorly. You need to go check out the video. It's hilarious. But it shows how music has the power to captivate us. It has the power, songs have the power to enable us to express what we're feeling in a way that normal language, normal words, just talking to one another doesn't do. The Bible, the ancient Christian scriptures are full of songs. 
And I think that's one of the remarkable things about Christianity and about our book, the Bible, is that it recognizes these things that I've been talking about, that one of the main ways humans express what is true, express their feelings, is through singing. All through the Old and New Testaments, we see songs. We see people breaking out in songs. We see individuals composing music in order to express themselves, in order to worship God. And that's exactly what's happening here in this passage that the Drakes have read for us this morning. In fact, Luke records four different songs for us in the first two chapters of his gospel when he's telling us about the birth of Jesus Christ. This morning, the song we're going to look at is the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's traditionally called the Magnificat. In the next three weeks, we're going to look at three other songs. You could call them the Bible's Christmas carols. And the three other songs we're going to look at are the song of Zechariah, the song of the angels, and the song of Simeon. Each of these ancient carols we're going to take a few minutes and look at in order to orient our hearts and our minds around the meaning of Christmas. But for this morning, I want us to look at this song of Mary. Now, the context for this song is that Mary has just had the angel Gabriel, as we all know probably, if we've heard the Christmas story, famously, the angel has visited her. He's told her, even though she is a virgin, she is going to conceive in her womb, Luke 1.31, and bear a son, and his name will be called Jesus. He will be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the people of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. So Mary hears this amazing news from the angel who comes to visit her. And then she goes to her relative, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. She is pregnant with the man that will become known as John the Baptist. And she visits him, we see there in verses 39 through 45 of chapter 1. And it's, or, it's almost like you know Luke is reporting for us that this is still sort of sinking in for Mary. You know What's happening to her, the fact that she has been chosen by God to be the mother of God, the mother of the Son, Jesus Christ himself, is still sort of fresh in her mind. And as she's discussing this story, this news with Elizabeth, Elizabeth and the baby inside of her do something amazing. We read from Luke in verse 41 that the baby, John, leaps in the womb of Mary. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says this amazing thing to Mary in verse 42. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that my mother, the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Lord should come to me? And it's as if Mary is sort of reminded again, whoa, you know, this is unbelievable. I have been chosen by God to be the mother of God. Why would God pick me of all people? This is unbelievable. This is incredible. And yet we see Mary in humble faith express her feelings, express what is happening to her through this amazing song that she's composed in verses 46 through 55. And just for a couple of minutes this morning, I want to show you three things about this song. Three ways that this particular ancient Christmas carol helps us understand what Christmas, what Advent is all about. And so the three points I have for you this this morning are very simple. This is a song of worship first. Second, it's a song of thanksgiving. And then third, 
It's a song of remembrance, a song of worship, of thanksgiving, and remembrance. So let's see first that this is a song of worship. The first word in the language that this gospel was originally written in is that word there, magnify, in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get the name, the traditional name for this text, the magnificat. That's the Latin form of this ancient word, magnify. And the thing for us to get this morning is that the first thing Mary does in reaction to, in response to this news that she is going to be the mother of Jesus, is worship. The first thing she does is magnify the Lord in her soul. Her spirit, she says, rejoices in God, her Savior. And you know, it really makes total sense that that would be her initial response. You know, I think it'd be helpful for us to just pause for a second and try our best to to unfamiliarize ourselves with this Christmas story that we've probably heard, I would guess all of us have heard multiple times, and try to just consider it freshly. I mean, this is a young woman, a virgin girl, who is probably around 15 years old, She's just been visited by an angel, and now all of a sudden, she's pregnant with this little baby who is also God. That's, that's an unbelievable. My wife, Marianne, was just commenting to me this week that, you know, it seems like the older we get each year, it's more amazing to us what's going on here in the Christmas story. That Mary, a virgin, is pregnant, first of all, and second of all, that she's pregnant with the one who made her and the one who made everything else. And what Mary's doing here is singing a song of worship to the baby in her own womb. You know, probably a lot of you mothers and maybe some of you fathers perhaps sang lullabies to your children when your wife or when you were pregnant. In a sense, Mary here is singing a lullaby to her child. But it's not the normal lullaby. It's a lullaby of worship. It's a lullaby of adoration. It's a lullaby of absolute mag- magnifying the God, God of exalting God. She's singing a song about her son here because her son is also, her son is also her savior. It's a, it's a worship song. It's a song of praise. And it's worth us taking a moment and just acknowledging that the first response to the Christmas story should be one of praise, of worship. And the reason for that is because Christmas begins with and is premised on an amazing and incredible miracle of miracles, right? The virgin birth of the Son of God. Now, let's see exactly what she's worshiping God for. She says there in verse 48, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior for or because he, God, has looked on the humble estate of of his servant and done great things for her. She says that it's such a great thing that God has done for her that all generations are going to call her blessed. And the fact that we're here talking about her this morning is proof that what she said then was true. Mary is praising God because of his uniquely wise and surprising way of working out his redemptive purposes. You see, God has not come to a rich and powerful queen, but to a poor, despised, and lowly maiden. 
even in the woman he chose to be the mother of Jesus, you see. We understand that God cares for the lowly. That his eye is on the brokenhearted. That he lifts up the downcast. That he is on the side of the weak. Would it not be appropriate for us to respond to the Christmas story? To the gospel message in the same way that Mary did so many years ago by worship. Now, I love the line of that famous Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What does it say? Rejoice, right? Rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel. Will you make an effort to focus on worship this Christmas? Can you rejoice at what God has done? You know, for some of us, Christmas is a season of sadness, actually. It's a season of loneliness. But even you can rejoice because Christmas is the story that proves that God has come to the sad and to the lonely. God particularly cares for the lowly, the marginalized, and the afflicted. Listen, Christmas means that you are not alone. It means that God has fulfilled his promises to make this world new again. He has not left us to ourselves. It means that he loves us. Can you worship this season, even in the midst of your sadness? For others of us, you know, Christmas is a season of stress and busyness. And that might make us sad, right? Um, But I, I want us to think this morning as well about our need to focus this Christmas season on worship. And let me challenge you and challenge myself. Can we carve out some time to simply delight in and rest in the truth that God has come into this world to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring meaning? For others of us, Christmas is largely about stuff. I mean, we are Americans after all, right? It's about what we are going to give or what we are going to get. And, you know, at the risk of sounding cheesy like a bumper sticker here, uh, the real gift has already been given, right? The real gift has already been given to this wounded world by God the Father. It's the gift of the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Mary saw these things. Mary believed these things in her heart, and Mary worshipped And I think that the scriptures are calling us to take our own eyes off of things and stuff this season. And by faith, put our eyes on the greatest gift, Jesus. And let our hearts magnify the Lord and rejoice. This is a song of worship. Secondly, this is a song of thanksgiving. In verse 49, Mary transitions from singing just about her own personal experience with God and worshiping him, to singing about how God has shown mercy to his people, there in verse 50, to those who fear him. And we see here in these verses that this is also a song of thanksgiving, along with being a song of worship. And I want you to see what she praises God for there in verse 50, and also down in verse 54. She says, his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him. She praises God for the fact that he, in his own character, loves to and delights in showing favor to those who do not deserve it. 
showing love and kindness to those who have actually earned the opposite. That is what mercy, that word, means. It's undeserved favor. It's forgiving love towards those who are in pitiful conditions, towards people like you and me. It's his kindness to those who are broken and hurt by their own sin and by the sins of others. And then in verses 51 and 53, the focus turns especially to the truth that God shows mercy in particular to those who are humble in heart and not to the proud. He says three things there in those verses. First, that God scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Second, he brings down the mighty from their thrones. And third, the rich he sends empty away. What's the point? The point is this. God has a long track record of being merciful to those who know they need mercy and of destroying those who think they do not need him at all. That's the contrast set up in this text. And it's part of the Christmas story too. You know, one of the great Christmas stories is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? It's one of the great stories because generation after generation tells the story. The movie version comes on every year. We almost all know the story. And really, one of the things about that story that's so resonant and so true and so great is that it's illustrating this exact point, that God is a God that shows mercy to the humble and not to the proud. And it primarily illustrates that point in Dickens contrasting Ebenezer Scrooge, on the one hand, right, with tiny Tim, on the other hand. Here's what he says about Scrooge at one point. External heat and cold had little effect on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Tiny Tim, on the other hand, is humble. He's presented as a character that knows his need. And because he knows his need, he can experience the joy and the hope of Christmas because he knows that God has rescued him. And you know, the entire story is about Scrooge, painfully at times, through the three ghosts that visit him, learning that story as well. The Christmas carol is so beautiful and so true because it's making the point that the scriptures make here. Listen, for God, the true God, the living God, What matters is not a display of the depth of your wealth and strength and skill. For God, what matters is a humble recognition of his strength and wealth and skill. You see, Mary had none of those things. She recognizes, she says twice, her humble estate, and therefore she is able to see how great God is. She is able to thank him for his mercy. So again, the question is pressing upon us. Can we, along with Mary, recognize our need enough to be thankful to God for what he has done in sending Jesus? All too often, this time of year blinds us to our need. We talked a little bit about that last week, even in our study of Mark, with the rich young ruler Christmas can easily become a time of wanting. And when we are wanting, it's hard to really understand our needing. 
This season, will you ask God? Will you ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help you see your own need? Your own inner poverty? Will you ask him to give you the humility so that you can truly experience the gratitude and the thankfulness that Mary sings about here? The great Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, writes this, Let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors and that every day we have more mercies than we deserve. Amen. That is certainly a part of what Mary is singing about here. And it's certainly a part of what God the Holy Spirit is asking us in our hearts to sing about as well this season. This is a song of worship. It's a song of thanksgiving. And then finally we see that it's a song of remembrance. Look in verse 54 and 55. We read there that Mary begins to speak now about the nation of Israel. She sings that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So what's going on here? What's Mary talking about? She's talking about the covenants that God thousands of years prior made with Abraham. She's talking about the promises that God had made to Abraham. And she's saying that the promises that God made to Abraham are being fulfilled in his bringing his son into the world through Mary. Mary is linking the promised birth of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, to God's covenant promise to Abraham. She's saying, Lord, you are fulfilling what you promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. You are fulfilling what now in our time, you're fulfilling that now in our time. And for whatever marvelous reason, you're, you're using me. You've chosen to fulfill that through me. Now, it's important to know that at this point in history, at this point in the history of the Bible, the prophetic word of God, God speaking to his people, has not been around for about 400, 450 years or so. God has been silent, as it were, since the end of the Old Testament to write at this point. And think about how long 450 years is. That's a long time. And you can imagine God's people in the Old Testament, as they were constituted as the nation of Israel, you can imagine them thinking, God surely must have forgotten us. Surely he has left. Surely it was all a, you know, it was all made up. It was a dream. It was a make-believe story that my parents told me and that their parents told them, but this thing can't possibly be true. That's the context in which Mary has received this word from the angel. It's a context in which she sings this song. She's saying, God does remember. He has not forgotten. He has not let go of the promises that he made to our forefather Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his family. No, he has actually fulfilled those promises in this little baby boy, Jesus. Jesus is proof that God does not ever leave or forget his people. He's proof that God has not abandoned those to whom he makes promises. Mary knew this, you see, and it caused her heart to sing. God remembers you too. God remembers us. That's what the birth of Jesus teaches. That's what Advent, that word means coming. The coming of Jesus, what Christmas is all about. It's about God fulfilling his promises. 
It's about God rescuing his people. It's about God making this world, making our lives new again. Can you hear the good news of Christmas this morning and believe it? God remembers you when you feel alone. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus being given to Mary is proof of that. Can you believe and remember this morning that God remembers you when you feel lost and confused? Jesus being given to Mary is proof of that. Can you believe this morning that God remembers you when you are sick and weak? In fact, in your sickness and your weakness, God desires to draw even closer to you because his mercy is upon those who have need. Can you believe this Christmas that God remembers you when you have nowhere else to turn? That God remembers you when you have been betrayed? That God remembers you when you feel alone? That God remembers you when you don't believe that anyone else understands what it is you're going through? In those moments, in the emptiest and darkest times, that's when the light of Christmas shines the most brightly. It's when God is calling you to remember what is true. Just as he remembered his people in Exodus and didn't leave them to die in the land of Egypt, so now he remembers his people and brings a new Exodus through the new Redeemer, Jesus. It all begins when that angel came to Mary. It all begins when John leapt in the womb as he heard the news. It all begins as Mary sings this magnificent song. Perhaps this Christmas it will begin in your heart for the first time. Christmas is proof, you see. It's proof that God is a promise keeper. He sent Jesus to bear the weight of our sins and our failures and our guilt. He sent Jesus to be born so that he could die and then so that he could live again. So that by faith we might also live with him. Can we worship him this Christmas? Can we be thankful this Christmas? Can we this Christmas remember that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, that he has helped his servant in remembrance of the promises that he made to Abraham and to his offspring forever? Let's pray.